On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Yes's The Letter. Welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory as we continue through the Yes catalog, today covering the latter. Palaver on Yes is the Ladder. Very, very interesting album, this. If we want to take care of the particulars, The Ladder was released in September of 1999, was produced by Bruce Fairbairn, released on the labels Eagle slash Beyond Music. The band lineup, John Anderson on lead vocals, Steve Howe on various guitars and stringed instruments, Billy Sherwood on guitars and vocals, Chris Squire, bass, guitar, vocals, and harmonica. Alan White, drums, percussion, and vocals. And joining the fold, Igor Koroshev on keyboards and backing vocals. The wikis also credit Randy Rain Roche uh, for World Instruments, Reese Fulber for Dance Loop, and the Margarita Horns, which I did not list out. Track listing is the is a uh, Homeworld, the latter. It Will Be a Good Day, The River, Lightning Strikes, Can I, Face to Face, If Only You Knew, To Be Alive, Hep Yetta, Finally, The Messenger, New Language, Nine Voices, Long Walker. So it looks like this album should be called Subtitle, because like all the songs have subtitles on them. The... <laughs> The latter is the 18th studio album by the English rock band Yes, released in September 1999 on Eagle Records. Their only studio album recorded with six full-time members in its lineup. Work began at the end of their one-year world tour in support of their previous album, Open Your Eyes, and in celebration of the band's 30th anniversary. During the tour, they agreed to work with Canadian producer Bruce Fairbairn, and relocated to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada to record the latter at Armory Studios. During the album's mixing stage, Fairbairn died unexpectedly, and Yes dedicated it to him. The latter received a warm reception from critics, who saw the album as a return to creative form from the band. It reached a peak of number 36 on the UK album chart and number 99 on the US Billboard 200. Three singles were released, Homeworld, the latter, Lightning Strikes, and If Only You Knew. The former was used in the 1999 real-time strategy PC game Homeworld by Relic Entertainment. Yes, supported the album with their 1999-2000 world tour, after which Sherwood left the band. Wow. 1999 is fascinating. Uh, are you curious in the least? Ken, I am on the edge of my seat to understand sure. the context of 1999. I'm hoping you can tell me. Would you believe that in 1999, Steve Howe put out two solo albums? Two? Uh, 
Um, apparently, portraits of Bob Dylan and a, a story two days wide. Uh, one was released in um, uh, the UK and the other one was released in the US. Um, we love Marillion and this is the year of Marillion.com. Oh, there you go. A few months prior to that, Jethro Tull put out jtull.com. Interesting there. Really? <laughs> That's yeah. funny. Yeah, and we have activity for both Spock's Beard and Neil Moore solo that year. Um, Mr. Bumble has California that year. Porcupine Tree has Stupid Dream. It's, it's very busy. We say prog rock died in the 90s, but they're trying. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Dream Theater, Metropolis Part 2, Scenes from a Memory, uh, and bands like Camel and Opus are raging at this point. So, uh, shall we say Prog Rock is back? Well, the Metropolis album is currently really the only Dream Theater album that's ever really stuck with me. And I had no idea that it was released and this year, which as I look through, boy, this was just, for me personally, not a really great year of music releases. Uh, we have had a few things to say about Marillion.com. Yeah. Well, but as I recall, when we went through Marillion.com, it actually wasn't as bad as we all remembered it being. We all liked different parts of Marillion.com enough to basically make the whole album viable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just had to do it as a timeshare. It would have been fine. So, you know, and, and it's funny, Ken, you talk about the return of, of prog rock here. And, you know, not to read too much into this, but, you know, obviously the latter comes on you know, out of Open Your Eyes and the tour that supported that. And I was thinking about this today because I was, you know, I was sort of thinking about and fixating on the, you know, the, the, the Roger Dean cover. This is actually one of, one of Roger's better covers. I actually, I very much like his, his cover for the latter. I like the fact that he used the Yes Years Yes logo Excuse me, as opposed to the bubble logo. Um, you know, so I like the I like the typesetting. I like the the picture. And you know, there this music is much more yes music than "Open Your Eyes" was, as we discussed in the previous episode. And I, what really struck me, and I don't know how deep this is, but "Open Your Eyes." If you think about the cover for "Open Your Eyes," right? Because you know, when, when you buy an album. If you're lucky, the cover is going to tell you something about what's inside. Open your Open your eyes was a black cover with with yes, the, the logo on it, and nothing else. Yeah, open your eyes was yes in name only, and that was actually communicated by by the album cover. It was black with the yes name and nothing else. But this clearly with the with the Roger Dean, um, you know, graphics and everything else. This. It was an indication, at least, that this was much more of a quote-unquote yes record. And I think, you know, you know, say what you want to about about this, whether it's it's too, um, 
you know, Caribbean based or too happy or whatever the case may be, it is a lot more yes than I think Open Your Eyes was. And there, there are reasons for Open Your Eyes being the way it is, as we discussed. But, you know, there, this is a, a sort of a nice return, if you will. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, overall, Open Your Eyes was, you know, an album that Chris and Billy had, had written a good chunk of. And they just kind of brought everybody else in. And as we've talked about many, many times, bad idea for the S camp to just let one or two folks hold the reins. But this was a very collaborative record. I think you can hear pieces of everybody in it. And they're doing it side by side. And it is, there are just some really terrific parts of this album. And I think it has to do with that more collaborative approach where everyone was working together. And I'm, you know, I credit a lot of that, I think, to Bruce Fairbairn. He wanted that sort of alive and collaborative feel rather than everybody coming in with pre-worked stuff. Well, we should talk about the credits. Both Open Your Eyes and The Ladder have mutual credits where all the artists wrote all the songs, supposedly. So that just must be a business agreement. Yeah. I think they all came in to record it and they said, damn it, I wrote that line. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that the Van Halen way of doing things? I think all their early stuff had it all yeah. mutually broken out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it, it's business. It makes it mutual and publishing is all shared. It's cool. It's cool. It, it does make it hard from our perspective to assign personalities to the songs. Well, you're right about that. But at the same time, I think that's kind of the beauty of it is that while there are so many parts of um, Open Your Eyes, and even today I was listening to Magnification, and there are just parts where you're like, well, Chris Squire just like beat me over the side of my head. Where this album, it's like, in, in, in a lot of these songs, you hear, you hear, you can hear Chris, Chris Squire's influence. You can hear the stuff that Billy Sherwood is doing with the backing vocals throughout. Um, and meanwhile, Steve Howe is playing his wonderful melodic riffs and soloing throughout the song. He's doing some of that um, lap steel stuff. Like, you can hear the influence of everybody within each song. It's not just, um, oh, this is a Chris Squire song that everybody's playing over top of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a sentence in, in the, the wiki page for this that speaks to this a little bit, but it doesn't make any sense at all. So I don't, I'm, I'm hesitant to kind of say it, but, um, where is it? The latter saw Yes write an album collectively for the first time in a while. One of the conditions they agreed upon was that if a member contributed a song of theirs, the band would not use it. Then how can you contribute it if you're not going to use it? That makes no sense. But Well, I think that's exactly the point. If someone came in with a song from start to back, the band said, no, thank you. Oh, so everything was written in the studio. Seemingly. Now, yes. 
I, I believe I had mentioned previously um, on the House of Yes DVD that I have, there is a short um, making of documentary on this. And, you know, so it's one of those things where the, it, it's fascinating. I love these sort of these documentaries of making records because you can see sort of the the studio space in which they're working. And, you know, ev everyone has their own little sort of corner of it carved out. But the, the character of these different studios is fascinating. And I recall that this particular studio, while it didn't seem to be very big in terms of square footage, it, it was, it seemed to be very tall, very open. It had, um, I want to say maybe it was some sort of a, a yellow color or something. It, it seemed to be, you know, very, very inviting and, and a very relaxed sort of place. And, you know, there's, there's something about this record that just feels uh, is is joyous the word I'm looking for it it, it seems like this is a, a group of people who are really having a good time playing music together it, it it has in and I'm not saying it's on the same level but but it has some of the vibe that came through in going for the one I think I think that it definitely has that feel and there is a certain amount of, of joy that I get from listening to this album. While I will admit that this, I believe, is from the Yes camp, their first dabbling in what we sometimes refer to as progressive adult contemporary uh, music. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and, you know, when I was saying that, I, I, I was very careful to say that, you know, I wasn't going to put the latter on this in the same echelon as going for the one be, because of that, you know, it, and it's, for, you know, for me, when I listen to this and maybe it's, I, I, I don't know what it is. There are some parts to this that, you know, aren't my favorite, but I still find myself having a very good time listening to this record. There is really something, there is something special about this album. And it could have been the fact that for me personally, the late nineties was not a very, um, even though now looking back, there are some albums that I see that I, that I, I do like, I wasn't really enthralled with a lot of the music that was out there. And um, I did like Marillion.com and I was listening to that, but I, I, you know, throughout that, I just kind of felt a little bit, I think, disappointed overall. I remember specifically listening to the latter um, on CD in a little, one of those little portable CD things, not the one, not in your car that you put in the dash, but the little portable CD that, uh -huh. that you put on your front seat and connect with the cassette that goes into your... Sure. <laughs> and the latter came out I, and I had also Sting's Brand New Day. And I remember listening to those two CDs while I was driving on the road a lot. And boy, nothing got my day started off better than driving to um, Homeworld. That middle section with the you know instrumental and Igor on the keys was, I just loved it. And, and the ending, 
it really, to me, I guess maybe especially coming off of Open Your Eyes was just, um, it was just wonderful for me. And I think a big part of it was Open Your Eyes was a kind of disappointment from an album perspective. But when I, I had seen the Open Your Eyes tour before I got the album and the tour was so good and I was so impressed with Billy and Igor and the whole just spirit of the band that I was kind of disappointed with the Open Your Eyes album. And to me, the latter delivered what I had seen in the live show, sort of that sort of the youthful spirit that I'd seen live, I found on the latter. Oh, very nice. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Paul, because one of the things for me that I did want to talk about here, and I already mentioned House of Yes, that is one of my favorite live performance videos, DVDs, whatever you want to call it, of of Yes. There is, mm. you know, again, there's there's this energy to that, and I think all of the all of the the renditions of the songs, and, and we talked about this previously. It, it's it's probably you know one of the the better um, live performances of Owner of a Lonely Heart, actually. Yeah. Um, in Agreed. in there, and, and and so it's just you know I I don't know what it was if, if it was. You know, having six people and you know having the extra pair of hands there um, with 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 Billy and Steve. Um, if it was if it was just the dynamic of this particular group of people, uh, you know, whatever it was, it, it really really translated both in this album and um, in that in that DVD, mm. or I guess that tour in general. And and you know I. I want to say I didn't even buy the latter when it came out. I don't even know that I knew about it. I remember Paul, you going to see the tour and and raving about it, but I, I don't know that I had purchased it immediately. Yeah, I had no idea it existed. I mean, I'm discovering it through this exercise, but it's fantastic. It's a hidden gem, um, particularly the track. The latter, uh, Homeworld. Uh, are, are we uh, ready to take on track by track? I am ready to uh, to do that. Sure, let's oh do God. it. The beginning, just just the melody in the beginning. It, it it takes me somewhere right away, and I I don't know that that's. I mean, it's John, but it it's kind of it's almost beyond John's ability, and I don't mean to slight him, but it's not his his tunnel vocabulary. So he's, he's probably collaborating with somebody to come up with that melody in the beginning. It's a little bit um, derivative of something Middle Eastern or something. I just love it. Well, one, one of the things I love about Homeworld is it's kind of like, yes, I'm back to not knowing what the fuck John Anderson is singing about. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh. You know, Homeworld was actually written and inspired by a video game of all things, and uh, apparently that was used uh, in, you know, in the game. And so maybe if you're a big fan of the game, you know exactly what he's singing about. Oh, but yeah. since I don't play video games and I don't know Homeworld the game, <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. <laughs> 
I, I do agree with you, Paul. It's one of those songs where, you know, you're you're singing the words, you love you love the melody, and you you have no idea what what it is, and you just don't care. And yeah. it's 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 wonderful. You know, for for me, this is you know, talk about a way to open an album. And again, it goes back to this whole idea is, you know, if if you were coming along in real time and the last thing that you had heard recorded was the, the 20 minutes of nonsense at the end of Open Your Eyes and you're, you're left wondering, you know, what that was all about. And now, yeah. now you get this and you've got, you know, you've got all the right cues. You've got the, the Roger Dean artwork and everything else. And, and you put it in and this track comes out and it's like, here you go, boys. Here's your Yes album. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Paul, you mentioned Igor in the middle. Uh, Igor, he's in a box, but he's very, very good inside of that box. Oh, gosh. Yeah. The middle section... It, you know, as the whole song develops into into this beautiful piece, uh, it just keeps building and building, and you're loving it. And then all of a sudden, um, they just blow into this middle part with the, with the keys and the the vocals, you know, coming in with the like the the vocal line and then going back to the keyboard part. And then the it's just it's so much fun. And then to me, the thing about this song is you get to the end and it doesn't end. Right. I know. Right. Fantastic. You know, guitar part. And then the piano and the outro part of this song is so beautiful and so well done. Um I, this song is is a, is one of the best long tracks I think that you know a nine minute track that Yes has ever done. I I love it. Yeah, I I agree. I'll, let me ask you a question. I was thinking about this and I I I just don't have the 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 musical horsepower to answer this on my own. So I'm just going to put it out to you guys. As and I'm not trying to take anything away from Igor. I love Igor. I love what Igor does, but. Is is Igor is Igor being Igor or is Igor playing Rick Wakeman? Oh boy, I'm sure anyone who auditions for Yes learns a boatload of Rick Wakeman and some Tony Kay, and that influences everything they do. I mean, you could say that Billy Sherwood parrots Chris Squire in certain places, and, and he parrots. Trevor Rabin in places, and I don't know. You just get these guys who come in, and they learn a bunch of things, and they incorporate what they are playing into the new material. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, clearly Igor was, was had learned all of the the required songs for the Open Your Eyes tour. So yeah, I mean, he had, and of all of the keyboardists that they've had, in terms of of performing. The, the you know the classic Rick Wakeman parts, Igor has done the best. But when I listen to that this break, you know where the keyboards come in in the middle part here in Homeworld, it's great, it's triumphant, it's absolutely perfect. But it it just sounds like something that Rick would have done, <laughs> you know? Yeah. What would Rick play? Sure. Yeah. What what would Rick play? Maybe they had bracelets back in the day. I don't know. 
<laughs> so I, I was just thinking about that. And, and, you know, Paul, like you said, I love when, you know, the song ends and it doesn't end. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's because you have that, you know, he, here again, when, when John Anderson is in sort of that, whatever zone it is, and he can do a duet with, you know, either Steve or Rick or, or whomever, it, it can be really transcendent. And I think this is, is an example of that. Oh, um, backing vocals have less personality in this album than other Yes albums. They're clearly quality, but you don't necessarily know at this point if you're hearing Chris or Billy or a combination. I mean, I don't get as much personality into the backings. Do you get that, guys? You know, I, I was thinking that. I, on the whole, I think you're, you're right. I think there are moments where Chris kind of pushes himself to the forefront but but clearly the the combination of of John Billy and and Chris is different from what we've heard before and I don't know how Steve mixes in there um, Steve usually stands out because he's a little bit lower but um, you know it but yeah I, I had the same thought as I was listening to this that the I, I wanted to spend more time with it in headphones to sort of try to pick through some of that and I, I just didn't have the opportunity to do so. Oh, and Igor sings. Oh yeah, thought. that's right. So you got you have a lot of different voices coming in. Yeah. I you know the the um the, I think one of the vocal the one of the things that's so refreshing about this record are the vocals. Because you have, you know, basically you have the, the Chris Squire, John Anderson thing happening, but you also have Steve Howe and Igor singing vocals. So we're not getting that gang vocal type of thing because you already have at least four vocals going on. And where you are getting the doubling and the tripling of vocals is, is when Billy Sherwood is kind of doing his, his different things. And it really... It, I think it becomes a little bit more dimensional. It it you're getting more than what we're really used to with with the band, and I think more than anything that was Billy's contribution to to the um, to the record. And I remember listening to headphones and just you know trying to listen to what he's doing. And I definitely think it was a, it was a big part of you know what gave this album some uniqueness to to the sound. Yeah, I think I think you know Billy brought a, a utility to to Yes that really I mean not that that Yes was necessarily lacking, but it it really helped to sort of you know, and I think this kind of goes hand in hand with with what we talked about um, at the at the Yes Fifty fan convention and and Billy's sort of approach. Billy loves Yes, and Billy is mm -hmm. willing to do whatever Yes needs, you know, to to be, you know, better or, or whatever. And, and I think, you know, that's that's part of what we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so true. You said it. This is the first and only album with six guys, right? Yep. That's it. And 
And that sixth guy is the second guitar player. And you're right. Billy is not, it's not like Trevor and Steve battling to see who's going to do what in this song. Billy is in service of the song. He'll yeah. play some licks. He'll play rhythm. He'll do whatever. And he brings the electric 12 string in several places. And it's fantastic. It, it gives such a great, and sometimes on its own, I don't even like the tone, <laughs> but in the whole mix of everything, it brings this, this great extra dimension that we're not used to hearing in wow. these songs. And it's really taking, I think, yes, to a different, a different place. You said electric 12 string. Oh my gosh. And stop me if you possibly can, but <laughs> it was a Rick, it was a Rickenbacker electric 12 string originally on Awaken that didn't hold intuition, intonation and whatnot well enough for the road. And that is the story. And, and we, we speculated upon this after the S50 concert in Philly. That's how Steve Howe ended up with the Steinberger. Really? He needed, he needed something reliable that he could take uh, out on the road after recording with a Rickenbacker 12 string. Nice. Fascinating. There's some lore for you right there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> in Boom. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, so Homeworld, fantastic track. Way perfect way to open it open the, the record. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love it. And it, it really sort of illustrates all of the wonderfulness that's going on um, with this record. Moving And you know, one last one last thing along yeah. with Billy Joe. Mm-hmm. Igor Koroshev was you know, playing piano since he's been four years old. And he plays, he's a multi-instrumentalist. And so, you know, I think Igor is being Igor. And as, as we've said, he's spending a lot of time with Yes and Yes music. And similar to how, remember how we talked about Trevor Rabin saying, you know, he didn't think 90125 was going to be a Yes album. Right. So, you know, then he went and, and Big Generator, he thought about, okay, I'm going to write a Yes album now, whatever that means. And I, I wonder similarly here, like, you know, Igor's being Igor, but he knows he's writing a Yes album. He's working on a Yes album. So, you know, those influences are going to shine through, I suppose. Well, and and that that was really the question that I asked, you know, was was he... Was he trying to sort of create parts that he thought were consistent with with something that Rick would do? Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. I think yes is the answer. And, you know, and 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 quickly while we're talking on Igor again, and and Paul, I think we talked about this in a previous episode as well. You know, one of the greatest things about freaking Igor live and Tell me what's is it roundabout where he's roundabout where where he's yeah. he's he's playing the riff on on one hand he's singing and he's wailing on the cowbell with his left hand right yeah so I mean here again you've got you now have two people who are willing to literally do whatever it takes to uh, mm -hmm. to, yeah. to get the job done and so yeah and, and I think. All of this comes together in Homeworld. I think every every aspect of this group of six individuals is on display in this one song. That takes us to It Will Be a Good Day, The River. Yum. Yes. Yum. 
adult progressive contemporary music here. <laughs> I think for me, musically, this song is terrific. I love the interplay of the melodies, the, how it goes to the guitar and, you know, sort of changes, changes the tonality in between the backing vocals, you know, the sort of carrying a different melody underneath, a, a, you know, kind of a counter melody. Yeah. Um, it is a little light and fluffy, if you will, but it's not light and fluffy in a poppy sort of, oh, let's get on the, let's get on the radio. It's just a little light and airy, sort of like moths with gold dust on their wings, kind of like yeah. fluffy, you know? I, I, I want to sneak it into a yoga class, but, you know, that's me. I think it would be a good a good song for a yoga class. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and there's, you know, we had talked previously about when when John sort of got into his growly, angry John phase and how different and wonderful that was. And this is this is good happy John is yeah. is what yeah. this is. And I absolutely love, you know, because and it's gonna come up later on in this record, and I've mentioned it before, there are some times when John can get a little wordy for my liking, and his his vocal lines are just there there's too many syllables going on and it just it's uh. monotonous and it wears me out. But we don't really have that here. It's just, yeah. you know, this this vocal melody is is beautiful. Yeah, and there's just great. There's like a spontaneity to to his his vocals here. You know, like at the end of some of the phrases, um, you know, two of the things that just stick in my mind is like, you know, he finishes the phrase giving me good reason, and then he sh shouts it out again, giving me good reason before the the music break. Yeah, and then there's one part where it's a similar spot of the song, and he just yells out "Good day!" Like it doesn't even—he doesn't even say it will be a good day. It just <laughs> says "Good day" or "Be a good day." There is a spontaneity to it that's that's really great. And while it's happy, and 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 it, you know, ha happiness tends to not translate sometimes as powerful in a song. The music underneath it, the guitar lines, and the way it goes is. I feel like it, there's a, an emotional sort of power to this underneath the happy lyrics, which I think for me really, really just makes the song work. Yeah, I think there's something about this record, even even on the songs where they start out, you know, and it, it's musically kind of sparse and simple, if you will. Eventually, you know, at some point in those songs, everyone kind of comes in and starts contributing and... And even if it's not bombastic and overwhelming, it, it does, like you said, Paul, sort of bring in that that weight underneath of it that that makes it substantial. It's cool. Well, let's talk about Bruce Fairburn and and the you know too many Johns of the past and <laughs> everything from you know Union forward. Uh, they they did a lot of multi tracking unnecessarily, and I think they're paying you know they're making up for it yeah it seems that way yeah and you know that's a that's a really great point ken because uh, you know i the influence of bruce fairburn it, it's something that i tend to overlook i mean because i can't and, and we'll get there i can't get past the, the story of the messenger is the one thing that just kind of like sticks in my brain and blocks everything else out but but yeah, absolutely right. I mean, given everything that we have seen from 
from this group of musicians, ever changing as it is, after 90125 until this record has has had those sorts of issues and and we don't have that here and so yeah i think we've got to give we got to give bruce the credit bruce bruce fairbairn is not like a normal candidate you would think to produce yes um when you consider the the roster of artists that he's worked with like yes he's worked with blue oyster cult um and chicago but you know, he he made his name with Loverboy and Bon Perfect Jovi and Poison God. and Aerosmith and the Scorpions, even Van Halen, right? So, like, when you really, like, gosh, take any Bon Jovi album, Poison or Aerosmith album, and play it next to this, you will never guess that it's the same producer, you know? Like, that is nuts. Point Slippery when wet. Like eleven years earlier, he did "Slippery One." I mean, it's it's really impressive, uh, and it, it says a lot about the quality of producer that he was to be able to look at this band and not uh, not do some things like you know I'll I'll throw out like Bob Rock right when Bob Rock was hot and everybody wanted him to produce. Didn't matter what band he produced, they ended up sounding like a Bob Rock album, right? And not really the case here with um, with Bruce Fairbairn. He was Canadian, by the way. So as expected, he did uh, win uh, three Juno Awards. Oh, for, good. Uh, producing. Good. Okay. So that moves us on to Lightning Strikes. Ah, uh, yes. Nah. No one's jumping in. <laughs> that, that about says it all. <laughs> That's... Um, <laughs> You know, the funny part about this song is that as goofy as it is, it really sticks with you. Um, it's in 7-4. So it's this, like, it's, it's, it is very, like, accessible. It's got a very simple progression. It has this sort of driving beat and, you know, sort of sing-songy approach while it's all in 7-4. Um, and and like I'm, I I don't want to like this song, but I do. I mean, that's the only thing I can say. <laughs> well, we we've had examples of that before. Yeah, and then they do have like this is one of those songs where right in the middle of it, there's a break, and they and they cut it into halftime, and they they completely change the instrumentation, and there's these really great vocals going on. That make the to me make the whole song. Maybe that's that's why no matter what I'll just end up liking this song. Um, it's very cool, very cool. So so Ken, when we had started contemplating, you know, the the back half of the Yes catalog, and I guess you were starting to sort of explore around and dabble, and you you would come across the ladder. You had made a comment at some point on the text somewhere along the lines of, you know, this album was what was it too Caribbean for you or something like that? I mean, is, is, is yeah, at this point, isn't John based in Southern California and everything is sunny and happy. Yeah. And we're you know, a lot of the, like the, um, where, where did they go to record this? Did they Vancouver? Vancouver. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, they went to Bruce's territory, but I feel like John had sucked up enough sunshine in, in Southern Cal for everybody <laughs> to make an entire album. And it's just, it's, it's, it never quite shakes 
some of that influence. And I, I normally like it, but there are places where he borders on cultural appropriation, where he's just like randomly doing something pseudo Latin without telling a story behind it. It's just kind of there in your face, like take this crazy Latin music. Lightning Strikes is a little bit off kilter, but like Paul, I can't, you know, I want to not like it, but I find myself, you know, stuck liking it anyway. Yeah, you just can't shake the melody, you, you know? Yeah, I mean, I never found it. You know, it just sticks with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never fast forwarded. I mean, it, 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 it's there. It's good. Then there's Can I. Now... Oh, you're shaking your head, Joe. Go at, go at it. I, I can't stand We Have Heaven in the first place. Oh, you're kidding. I couldn't stand it in in 1971 or whatever the hell it was. And there's absolutely no need to bring it back and add other shit on top of it here. And thank God it's only a minute and a half long. But if I have to have a minute and a half yes song, give me freaking white car, not this garbage. Oh my gosh. Tell the moon well, dog, tell the March hare. We have heaven. Oh my gosh. Um, the th that's so funny, Joe. <laughs> the thing that I love about this song is that it sort of just fades in. Like the, the lightning strikes ends with the, you know, Steve Howe playing his nylon string guitar and ending it. And this, uh, this song fades in, right, with all of the thumping percussion and the um, sort of African vocals. And as it fades in, I, I get the sense that this song has been playing since 1972. <laughs> and, uh, and especially when, they, when they, uh, they, you know, come in with the We Have Heaven part, which I think is, is a terrific tip of the hat because this is kind of what, what they're doing. And, it you know, it is. It's just like this funny continuation. And um, it's so short. It's so harmless. And it, I think it does provide a very nice segue into, into the, next, the next track. So I, 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 I would have preferred to hear that as a John Anderson solo album. And... For the, for the piece to be built up like an Afrobeat piece. I mean, uh, you know, um, there are many different, you know, African or Latin genres that are based in this, you know, long form jam format where you start simple and you add more human beings with more instruments and you add more voices and it swells and it arcs and you generally need at least, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes to build something and bring it down that's that's the genre that he's doing, but he's only giving you a snippet of it. Yeah, I I I think I would actually appreciate the full development. You know, it lets me do things, it lets me yeah. run or cycle or something, and I can really get into it. But that that little snippet is like, well, I didn't get to do the thing that I do when I listen to long form music, so it, it I felt cheated. It's interesting that you say that, Ken, because I have almost the exact opposite view of, like, I love the fact that John Anderson is completely immersed into this other sort of music, this sort of African style. And while I'm well aware that we could spend five or six minutes, 
like delving into all of these <laughs> things that you're talking about. I'm perfectly fine with us just hearing about a minute of it and then moving on. <laughs> all right. So I'm I'm uh, I'm alone in my curmudgeonness about this and we have heaven, but that's okay. I mean, how else are you going to get into face-to-face, -face, right? Kind of got a minute buffer. It gives, it gives some, it kind of brings in a little bit of heaviness and some intensity back into the album after lightning strikes. But, but couldn't you have done that without having We Have Heaven underneath it? <laughs> yes, you could have. But what's the harm, dude? It's, it fits so nicely, you know? And every and you know it's kind of like you know it's just it's just a nice nice tip of the hat that's all. Um, uh, this the, the styles I think are meant to be somehow transcendental, where you're not so much listening to the music as kind of just being with the music and and not paying attention to every note. So that's why I like the long form because I'm not analyzing it. I'm just kind of breathing along with it. Uh, the snippet is is odd. But but yeah. I, I did Joe, didn't I text you and say face to face saves the album? You did say that, Ken. So yeah. that's a great segue into face to face. Ken, how does face to face save this record? Um with with beat melody, with uh Chris Squire kicking a little ass on the bass, uh, they just kind of bring it all together. It seems to be Oh, and I love that that sound. I love that keyboard sound. E e e e Igor is a little bit more into video games or something. <laughs> <laughs> and the and and the guitar part. I honestly, I I would guess that that's Billy on guitar. It's not a typical yeah lick, isn't that? I a agree. Billy? Yep, I agree. Yeah, you know, and, and and that's that's honestly a fun part of this. And I talked about this in one of my uh, one of my Asia episodes where they were doing the studio musician thing, and and Steve Howe would would come in a little bit. But it it certainly plays out on this record, especially. It's guess which guitarist is playing what what line mm -hmm. because it oh. you know it it adds a little element of of interaction with the record that you wouldn't normally have. Oh, cool! Yeah. Spot the guitar. And I would say in most yeah. cases. Listening to the to the in headphones, Billy's in the right, Steve's in the in the left. It's fun. You're right, Joe. It's fun. Like listening along. It's it's fun like that. Listening to that and then listening to all the backing vocals too, and trying to find who's who. Yeah, okay. exactly. I, I I agree with you, Ken. I, I like the I like so much about this, but you know, without a doubt, you know the 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 bass line that drives this whole song is um. It's, just, it's wonderful. It's classic. I think it's like classic Chris Squire stuff. You hear that and you're like, yeah, that's Chris Squire. Well, <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's, that's another aspect to all of this because we've talked in, in keys to Ascension. Chris was kind of back, but you know, we've, we've, we've talked in, in the, uh, in the Trevor stuff where Chris seemed very willing to sort of subvert himself into into the music and and everything else but you know there are there are some songs on this record where you know you do get that just sort of chris squire signature baseline you're like thank mm -hmm. you i appreciate that yeah. very much what do we think about the lift me up part they kind of go into like a 
four on the floor kick drum thing. Not 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 something you expect from. Yes, the, you know, look me up face to face. Pound 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 pound. Yeah, it's true. It definitely works. It's just at well, that point, it's not yes so much as it's. Well, but I, I, you know, I think that's one of, that's one of the influences of the new blood that you brought in for for this record, right? And, you know, maybe it's the fact that everyone feels comfortable enough with each other, and maybe this was some of the influence of Bruce as well, where something like that that you would consider to be unyes gets put in and it's it's a little bit different but it's not it's not completely inconsistent with this record it like you know i i don't know that you could have done that on some of the stuff from keys to ascension but right. but with with this particular group and this particular group of songs it, it's it's not you know completely outrageous i agree and and heck i'll tell you what i like it i like it i don't know ken before you had texted that what my feelings necessarily were on face to face, I, 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 I honestly can't remember what they were. I don't remember having a super high opinion of the song, but obviously after you said that, it's like, all right, well now we have to pay attention to this. And yeah, yeah, you know, there's there, I, I saw sort of what you were saying, um, you know, as I listened to this. Although again, for me, you know, the Homeworld, I think, is is great. So I I didn't know that the album necessarily needed saving, but there this is so such a, a bridging song between you know old yes and new yes and and everything else. I just yeah, it it, it totally works. Yeah, and I really enjoyed seeing these songs played live on the latter tour. Um, but I can say honestly. I'm never going to walk out of a Yes show shaking my head going, man, I wish they would have played face-to-face -face, or I wish they would have played Lightning Strikes, you know? Um, they were a part of that time and they were, they're terrific songs. I think they, they are different for Yes, um, much in the same way that some of the things on... Um, you know, some of the other albums that we've talked about, like, uh, you know, even 90125 or Big Generator, some of the, some of the songs that are um, were different for Yes at that time, kind of feel like it's the same here. The, 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 the fun thing about this is that this is truly a, a snapshot, a moment in time. You wonder, you know, what would have happened if this group would have stayed together and gone and you know, tried to record another album in, in, in the same type of fashion, if what kind of growth or whatever would have happened, um, you know, but instead they, they finished this tour, then they trimmed down the band and went to the Masterworks tour and then so on and so forth. So I feel like face to face kind of is a replacement for ABWH's brother of mine. It's like a fast, up-tempo, happy thing, but it's got a tighter arrangement and not yeah. yeah, a little tighter, I think. So that moves us on to If Only You Knew, which I guess is a love song written by John for his wife, if I understand correctly. And, you know, what can you say about this? It's it, That's exactly what it is, and it's it's beautiful, it's sweet, it's endearing. 
you know, it's... It, it is progressive adult contemporary to the extreme here. Yeah. And, and, it, and, it's, and I say that sort of jokingly, right? But it, it again, it to me, this is such a well done song. The arrangement, the break, the piano break in the middle, uh, uh, it, the backing vocals, the everyone in this band. You know, it's it's it, it. It certainly isn't on the same level to me as something like Turn of the Century. But oh, you really, yeah. you, you really feel though. Again, with the music underneath this this melody and the the lyrics a very powerful instrumentation and, and very powerful arrangement that is delivered by the band like everyone is contributing full on with this you know it, you know everyone is you know whether they you know have a wife that they're thinking about or whatever it is they're connected to the idea here and i think they deliver yeah, and I I think that that's sort of this manifestation of you know this this sort of collective you know mindset that's going on here. I I think because yeah, you're right. You know this is this is a song where you know a couple of the guys could have just you know said ah whatever whatever it's all good I can just do yeah. this but but you know they don't and and Steve Howe freaking brings it. Oh yes. What is he doing? Because. Um... I, I heard some uh, pedal steel. Yes, I believe fly. so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and how often do you have sort of a uh, a love song featuring killer pedal steel from the likes of Steve Howe? Yeah, you know that that's a very yes aspect of this. It's like, all right, this is this is a love song. Okay, cool. And if this had been on a John Anderson solo record. You you wouldn't have necessarily gotten that aspect of it, but you got yeah. Steve there, and Steve says, "You know what's going to sound freaking awesome?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but the guitar melody, I mean, I'm assuming that's Billy. The other part, the the yep. I honestly don't know. I mean, there there are some kind of uh, sustained single note lines going on. That, that yeah, that, and, and all three of them keyboard lines in there. It's pretty well orchestrated. Here's here's my my moment of why on earth do I like this song? Right. To be alive, Hep Yetta. So the fact that our subtitle is Hep Yetta really encapsulates all of the conundrums associated with this song. Because what the hell is that? Why yeah. was it, you know, I, I, I'm, I can sort of project as to why it was incorporated into the subtitle of the song because no one probably knew what the hell the song title was, but they'd say, hey, that Hep Yatta song. You know, right. and, and so so they put it in there, and it's it's nonsense. It's just John making noise, and somehow I'm sitting in my car singing it like a freaking lunatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, who's the fool here? Yep, and I really, you know, I I wonder what ha was happening in that situation because. 
to me, all those little things like that are, you know, I always think of Billy Sherwood, you know, you know, who knows, like John Anderson could have been like fucking around with that. And Billy Sherwood was like, yeah, let's put some harmonies on that and see what happens. And the next thing you know, it's the whole freaking song. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and the, the, the melody line in the verse is a little corny for me, uh, you know, but, you know, the everybody wants some. Yeah, even musically, it's a little bit more modern, if you will, for 1999 yeah. uh, than maybe what we're used to. But, you know, somehow it works. And, you know, I think one of the important things to mention from, from my perspective is that while you could extract face to face, you could extract the single song to be alive, Hepietta, and play it and just kind of be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> or just be like, ah, whatever, I didn't really like that. But as track five and track seven in the collection of songs in that is, that is known as The Ladder, they really flow nicely from one to the other. And I think this is a very, this is one of those records that you put it on and it begins and you don't even really know the time has gone by and you're already singing Hepietta over and over again on track seven and you know a, a nice chunk of time has gone by and it just flows to me really really nicely and and very very quick you know paul that i hadn't necessarily thought about that but that is an outstanding point that the tracking on this album is really superb because it, it does flow right by i mean you know and again we keep harping on homeworld but you're opening up with it with a nine minute song that is is just fantastic it doesn't even feel like nine minutes you go through the rest of this um you know and and like you said it they're they're different but they they work in the place that they are they flow from one to the other um you know and even you made you know the the great point about you know the the transitional aspect of of can i and and it all sets up you know and we've got one song before we get there but it all sets up this just monster freaking close to this album and you know it it, it delivers you the the way this track this album is tracked it just it delivers you right to the end for the the big payoff it's it's phenomenal yeah. mm, mm. i'm kind of Sequence. curious to know what what is the big payoff though after this <laughs> really <laughs> yeah yeah i i think you know and I, I don't want to necessarily just blow by finally or maybe i do um but i okay. think I think the last three songs are really, really solid. Um, you know, uh, the messenger. I think new language is a very yes piece of music, and yeah. I think nine voices is. You know, while it's not necessarily the the deepest pool in the park, it is. It's. I, I think it's a sort of a nice way to sort of you know put the cherry on the Sunday, if you will. Yeah, I, yeah. So I was—I just didn't know what you were, what you were going to say. So for me, <laughs> I mean, it's not—it's—it's yeah, I mean, it's not an awaken ending, Paul. It's not that kind of a payoff, right? <laughs> I mean, so I'm finally to me, finally everything about that song I should love, 
but to me it kind of comes off as um i'm running off of big generator which i'm not very fond of it just to me ends up being loud and noisy um i think finally is a better song than i'm running but it just for some reason and and john is definitely tapping into his sort of rough rough housing voice um but that song has never really captured captured me and then they have the big drawn out ending with all of the synthy dreamy keyboards and and the vocals so it's very cool as you're listening to the album but on other listens i just never really got into it and the messenger again for for whatever reason and i get it's about bob marley and all that stuff and 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 um and so the message behind it for me is is really cool um but for some reason i just can't it does it has never broken through and um and new language starts off to me it feel like it's like a leftover from tormato um and uh you know, and actually, I had honestly forgotten about new language until the last week or so as I was listening listening through, and it popped up, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. I, I think you're right on, Joe. I think it's a very yes piece of, of music. Um, not, you know, not one of my, my favorites, um, but very good. And then I do enjoy the, the short acoustic nine voices and particularly since we just saw them play it um, a couple weeks ago, uh, I, that was a very welcome addition to the to the set. And, yeah, um, yeah, dig it. Wow, that was really quick. I don't think those songs got their due. I mean, Joe, do you feel like? Well, I, really I, I was I was going to say, Ken, do you want to go through the last four songs and then I can go through the last four songs? <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I um, I don't. Sorry about that. No, no, I, I, and I don't disagree with you on finally. Um, you know, I, it, it it's 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 something you have to sort of get through. Um, in order to yes, uh, in you order know, to get to track nine, exactly you have to get through it. Yep. Well, it works uh, in in its spot. Um, yeah, I, I never paid that much attention to to, to finally, but but truly, uh, Messenger has my attention every time I listen to it. Uh, I'm 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 in the space when I hear like a minor verse taking me into a happy chorus. I'm often disappointed by any artist mm -hmm. because it, it it's like wow, you, you built mood, you took me somewhere dystopian, or you took me somewhere thematic, and then you decided that, oh, I'm here too long, I just want to be a fancy rock and roll performer and sing happy shit. Um, but this is one of those compositions where they blend the minor and the major really well. And I, I love The Messenger for that reason. And just the um, lyrics work, the, the, the camaraderie between the players really seems to work. And it, it's, yeah, it's got the Bob Marley reggae vibe, but they're not overdoing it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a very rock respectable interpretation of, of, of reggae. I, I think that's an excellent observation, Ken, because, you know, there are, 
there are other aspects of this album where, as you had pointed out, maybe there's some cultural appropriation going on. And given the subject matter for The Messenger, you would think that would be, you know, the, the perfect time to just, you know, go hog wild with that. And in fact, they don't. God, that freaking bass line just slaps me all over the room. And it, it makes me kind of drool a little bit. And I, I really like it. And what, you know, the, the funny thing about me, and, and Paul, you set this up so perfectly, because again, and I'm, I made mention, we've all seen the, I, I think we've all seen, we've made mention to, to it, of the John Anderson clip where he talks about, you know, Bruce telling him to go and, and write a song about someone who influenced him, and he decided to write about Bob Marley, and, you know, so we know exactly what this song is about. And I listen to the lyrics, and I have. If I didn't hear that story, I wouldn't know the hell that he was talking about Bob Marley. Yeah. You know, it's it's like it's 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 a very abstract sort of connection to Bob Marley. I I know it's about Bob Marley because John Anderson told me it's about Bob Marley. All right. And and, and again, for whatever magical scenario it is, when. When John's words don't make a whole lot of sense, it's just better. And so I I love it. <laughs> you know, I just I absolutely I, I absolutely enjoy this song. New language, um, you know, like I said, for for me, I think it's a very yes piece of music. It's, you know, maybe it's not the the pinnacle of yes music, um, but it's it, it's I think it's more closely related to what we'll call classic yes than Homeworld is. Home Homeworld is is probably a, a better song, but New Language I think is perhaps more yesian in, in yeah. some regards. And and what there's there's a very small aspect of this that and maybe I'm completely wrong, but I, I I've made this connection and it's it's a Honestly, it's a stupid connection, but it makes me just sort of chuckle. So there's this there's this one section where John starts singing in in what in my limited you know vocabulary I like to think of as circular phrases. They seem to just sort of circle back on themselves, and I swear to God that this is John recycling a portion of a song he did back in the 80s for a movie Metropolis. It's called Cage of Freedom. Paul, I don't know if you remember, when we drove to Austin, I played it for you, and you were like, God, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's, it's very, very 80s music, and it's, it's very not John Anderson. But there's a section about three and a half minutes into that song where John has what I think is, if not the same, a very, very close circular vocal melody that he, he brings in. And so part of what fascinates me with new language is if that's in fact the case, what made John Anderson in 1999 think about a song he did, you know, in the mid eighties that, you know, probably five people even know he did to to recycle that vocal line and put it in here. It's just it fascinates me to no end. 
that's that's why you run a podcast because you know <laughs> these things. You have lore, Joe. <laughs> wow, no one else is going to pick up on that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, yeah, that that's going to go in the show notes just for uh, to see what what people might think about that. <laughs> I oh. will uh, I will be curious, but yeah, uh, you know, I just. Um, yeah, I'll, I'm curious to see if anyone else a knows that song or b you know hears what I hear. I, I had wanted to sort of point you guys to it, but it was way too much to sort of explain over text what this song was, how you were going to find it, what it meant. Like, you know, you know, it just would have been too much. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I think you know, in terms of of nine voices, Paul, I think you covered that perfectly, and and the fact that we did just see it live, I think you know, it just it, it makes it more immediate. And the fact that they were able to sort of take that and and put it in a live set sort of by itself and have it work so well, it it it, it maybe provides that track a little bit more respect than maybe we would have given it before we had seen that. It does. And that brings us to the end of, of the latter. Is this the best Yes album ever? No. No, it's not. Is it a good Yes album? I think it is. I I find it to be a very, very enjoyable listen. I find it to be, you know, a, a very positive experience. And I was I was trying to sort of think about this aspect of it. Because, you know, yes is not, we love to use the word dystopian. Yes is not dystopian. There there's always a sort of positivity about it, but there is sort of this there's there's always sort of this tension this darkness that that's in varying intensities but it's it's always it they're not they're not a shiny happy people band you know and, and it, it, using that sort of of phraseology whatever darkness there is is almost non-existent in the latter and it makes it, it feels different. And it's not in a bad way. It's just, and I'm not trying to say that yes is dark. So, you know, hopefully everyone understands sort of what I'm going for here. But this, this album is different in that regard. Yeah. Well, they're, they're a serious band when it comes to music, right? They're yeah. Serious, serious musicians, if you will. And we don't often associate seriousness with happiness or happy feelings when it comes to music. And so that is a little different here than, than perhaps what we're used to. And, um, but, you know, like we say happy and things like that, but, you know, there's a certain level of joy that comes to li listening with this album that, you know, I don't experience with too many other records. And I forget about it. You know, usually when I think of the latter, I honestly think about Homeworld. Like, that's the song that I think of. That's when I think of this album. Like, oh, I want to go listen to that. And I play that. And then I move on to something else. When I do listen to this whole track or this whole, this whole album, there is that sort of joyful experience that you have that is uh, uncommon with most records, I think. Well, um... <laughs> I didn't have anything quite prolific, but just um, hearing Nine Voices live, 
the Portuguese guitar is wonderful. There's a certain nostalgia to seeing the pedal steel with Howe and his Gibson collection and the, you know, even that 12 string Steinberger. Uh, there's something magic about each one of these instruments, but the Portuguese guitar, you're like, wow, it survived after all these years. And he's able to take this on the road and it stays in tune. It sounds so beautiful. Um, I did want to throw that in. That's uh, the beauty of seeing nine voices. Uh, you're getting the same uh, instrument that he would have played on. Uh, is it See All Good People? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So so just a beautiful, gorgeous sound. So glad to hear that. And um, yeah, and it's nice how in the last track they elevated us to that happy place. Joe, you talked about album sequencing. And yeah, they they nail it at 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 the, at the very end here. Uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. All right, so the the latter is a I think it's a big hit. It's a winner. Yep. Great. Yeah, gentlemen, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Perfect. Thank you. So until next time, when we do something a little bit different, and we talk about magnification, which you know I I. I I'm very curious to see how that discussion goes, but we will have to save that until the next time. So until then, gentlemen, have a good one. Cheers, guys. Cheers. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. We welcome and 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 solicit your thoughts, your comments, your feedback, as always. You can reach us on the major forms of social media. That would be Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at Progpala, P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, on all of those, or you can search for Progressive Palaver. You can also email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on both iTunes and Google Play, and we are hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. adult contemporary sluts.